Hi, and welcome to Third Floor Views, a production of Chesapeake Family Life, where we talk about health, education, and living with kids. I'm your host, Laura Boyport. Today, we're discussing gentle parenting, and joining us is Laura Goldstein, a licensed clinical marriage and family therapist and founder of the Montgomery County Counseling Center and the psychoeducation platform, Their Courses. Laura, thanks so much for being here today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. I, I could talk about this topic all day. <laughs> I'm excited. So let's get into it. First of all, could you tell us a little bit about your background and your expertise? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, I am a marriage and family therapist. So my graduate level degree is in specifically marriage and family therapy, which is one type of counseling. There's lots of different types of counseling. Um, But my passion really is looking at the whole family system and how relationships impact um, our feelings and our behaviors. Um, After my graduate degree, I went into practice and I've also been trained in dialectical behavior therapy, which is a modality that is specifically for people people who have really intense emotions and maladaptive coping behaviors with them. Um, The intersection of that and relationships is that our relationships tend to lead to the most intense emotions. And also our most intense emotions tend to have consequences for our relationships. So marriage and family therapy and DBT have blended really lovely together in my life. I do family therapy and parent coaching for families where there is a child or a teenager with very intense emotions. And oftentimes the adults in those households also have intense emotions. And that has been the case from their childhood as well. So that's sort of my own clinical niche. Um, and no matter who's in front of me, whether it's a family or a set of parents or an individual, I am still thinking about the context of systems, families, upbringing, especially as it pertains to the intersection of behaviors and emotions. Okay, great. And so that brings us to the next um, thing I was going to ask about. At MCCC and Thera Courses, you sort of look at uh, whatever family dynamic might be presented and you work with all age ranges and try to, to really to help the family as a unit. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So Montgomery County Counseling Center is my private practice therapy company business. Um, we treat outpatient therapy from ages about six and up. Every now and then we'll go down to about four. Um, and we have individual therapists. We have family therapists. We have couples counselors. We run DBT skills groups. Um, so we have a wide array of services meant to address mental health. But because as the owner, I conceptualize everything from that systemic perspective, all of what we do has that incorporated in the work that we're doing. So like I said before, even if we're not working specifically with family therapy or couples therapy, we still are putting an individual and their mental health in the context of the family that they were raised in or the family that they live with now, depending on, you know, age. Um, And so that's just such an important value of mine clinically and personally that my employees exude that in their clinical work also, even when, you know, they're doing individual work. So um, Montgomery County Counseling Center does outpatient therapy. Thera Courses is an educational platform where we put out um, courses to help people get the tools that they need in order to either prevent or treat mental health. Um, I created this company uh, at the beginning of last year after seeing the intensity of the workforce shortage in the world of mental health and for people to be on a wait list when this information is available uh, or for people to pay out of their ears for it in the mm-hmm. mm-hmm. when it can be available in a course at a 
much cheaper cost. It's just something about the system needed to be changed. So TheraCourses offers um, courses for all sorts of mental health skills and support. Um, and we are currently working on expanding our library of that since we're still new. But the first course that is currently available, it's called Translating Teens, A Parent's Guide to Emotions a parent's mouthful, <laughs> translating <laughs> a parent's guide to adolescent emotions and behaviors. So when I talk about the intersection of emotion and behavior, and when I talk about family work, parents need as many emotion coping skills as teens do. And so often we are apt to say, help my kid learn how to handle their feelings or teach me the skills that I can get my kid to do. And what we know in the world of systemic care is the best thing you can do as a role model. And so if you can learn the skills to use yourself for your own emotional processing and use them yourself, your children will absorb it um, and be able to practice those tools. But when you try to feed it to them and give it to them and push it on them, it never works the same way. So this course is really meant to give parents the tools they need um, in an ideal world for anybody who has a teenager or a teenager just to prevent mental health crisis. Um, you know, I have this dream that if every family had this information, there would be such less of a need for the intensity of the mental health services and the crisis that we feel like we're in. Um, but for even for those who are already in treatment, whether it's outpatient treatment or in more intensive treatments, the family still has to make shifts even when the identified patient is getting care. And so for the family to have that toolbox and be able to learn how to support their child at home um, with mental health struggles is pretty much essential to sustainable outcomes. You know, what I hate seeing is people mm -hmm. in treatment, then out of treatment, then in treatment again, and then out of treatment again. And so I told you I could talk about this forever. We're not even on the subject. Well, no, no, no. And it's wonderful. And I can tell how passionate you are and, you know, your, your background. So I'm, I'm really excited that we get to see. Yeah. Um, so talking about, about, you know, Keep me focused here. Is, <laughs> so this, you know, parenting, especially as we were talking about before we started um, recording this episode, you know, I've got, I've got two elementary school daughters. So this is a particular interest to me, um, obviously mental health, but types of parenting um, to, you know, to go back to your phrase, sort of the importance of, of modeling things and the parental behaviors or the caregiver behaviors um, that need to, that need to take place um, for the, you know, the parenting caregiving relationship to be successful. So with that said, can you tell us what gentle parenting is? I believe it's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's relatively new in terms of other sort of uh, types of styles of parenting. So if you could just give us sort of a, an overview of what gentle parenting is, core beliefs, things like that. For sure. And, and before I do that, I just want to make mm -hmm. note that you said caregiver. And I think that that's so important, not just because every family is unique in terms of who's raising the children in them, but even if there are two parents in the primary household, this is still applicable for other caregivers. Grandparents mm -hmm still impact the environment at home and teachers still impact the environment at school. And so it's not just who's the primary caregiver or primary person responsible for upbringing, but anybody who's interacting with these children are going to influence our children's sense of self and mental health and coping skills and all that. So um, very much on board with this is for everybody and not just parents. Super, um, wonderful. So that being said, gentle parenting as I 
conceptualize it is kind of like a buzzword in the same way that helicopter parenting is a buzzword. It's not Mm -hmm. a clinical definition of any particular parenting style. It's not something that's researched. It's not something that has like a um, formal training or background that goes along with it, but it's a word that's being thrown around a lot lately, especially in the age of social media and Instagram therapy and TikTok Mm -hmm. therapy. Um, And what it ultimately encompasses is bringing compassion and emotional awareness to every interaction with your child. The misconception is that that means without having the boundaries and limitations that your child needs in order to stay safe, which is not true. And so I actually think that the name gentle parenting is a misnomer. I think that it doesn't actually do justice to the concept If I could change it, I would call it balanced parenting. Um, And In DBT, we talk all about the balance between empathy and accountability and how essential it is to have both for yourself that you can see yourself empathically and also hold yourself accountable for growth and for your children that you can see your child with empathy and hold them accountable for growth and change and safety and all that. So I, I worry that the phrase gentle parenting um, confuses people who really value structure and boundaries and limits and who believe that it is a parent's role to protect their children. It is. Mm-hmm. And gentle parenting should include that. Um, but it includes it from a place of being attuned to your child's emotions and helping them learn about their emotions and process their emotions. When we know that children don't know how to do that, but as adults, we should know how to do that. Or if we don't, it's our responsibility to learn how to do that. The only way children can learn how to do it is from having it role modeled by adults. They don't have the resources, you know, no five-year-old is going to go and say, Hey, I I need to read a book about emotional processing or exactly. But as an adult, it's our responsibility to learn how to process our emotions. And if we don't know how to find those resources, so that we can separate our emotions in the moment of our child having an emotion. That our emotions can be separate and we can attune to our kids' feelings with whatever those are and help them make sense of themselves and give them the language, which is different at every age, so that they can understand what they're feeling and so that they can build a toolbox of what to do with those feelings without parents' own emotions interfering with that. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what is human nature is that when someone that we love is having an intense emotion, we are going to feel something intensely about it. And if we behave based on that feeling, we might miss the mark. So we have to get our own feeling under control. We have to have awareness of what it is, understand where it's coming from, our own coping skills as adults to process it before we go into the moment of interaction with a child so that when we're with the child, we're able to just be present with the child for their emotions and not our own. So that's kind of, the, in my opinion, the goal of gentle parenting is that you can bring the gentleness to your child because whatever doesn't feel gentle inside of you, whether it's fear or anger or frustration or exhaustion, all those emotions that don't really feel super gentle for ourselves, we're processing them before we're interacting with a child. Okay. So in a way it's sort of not, not compartmentalizing necessarily, but sort of just learning to separate, 
just and temporarily pause whatever sort of instinct or just, you know, a uh, quick reaction, emotional or otherwise you're having as the caregiver um, so that you can better serve your child in that sort of heightened emotional yes. state. Absolutely. Okay. I think that that pause is super important. And it's not just about helping your child. It's also understanding your child. And before that is helping your child understand themselves. So there is no help until you identify what's going on and you can't identify what's going on if they can't identify what's going on. And so it's helping them through that process because ultimately once somebody child teenager or otherwise learns how to identify their own emotions and communicate them appropriately. And even maybe before communicating, identify their emotions, cope and soothe them appropriately, communicate them appropriately, and then solve the problem. You've got a really emotionally mature human on your hands there. Right. And that, that has to happen in that order. When parents try to go out of order, when we try to help before we understand, or when we try to understand them before they understand themselves, or before we give them the tools to understand themselves, it gets complicated. And Mm -hmm. a young child probably won't feel icky about it, but a teenager will feel icky about it. A teenager will absolutely feel like it's more about the parents' need to fix the situation than about the need to be okay in your own, like accepted in their own being and their own experiences. Mm -hmm. So I guess I would say that the order of that process is really important Mm -hmm. and where it can be so hard to get that order right is as an adult, if you are triggered and you have a visceral reaction by something in your own world that may or may not have anything to do with your kid, it's really hard to get that order right, right? You become flooded and overwhelmed sometimes with your own emotions and going through that in that order is really, 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 really Mm -hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. Right. And it sounds from what you're saying, it sounds like, um, <clears throat> first of all, for the, for the grown ups sort of getting their emotions in check, but then also as it might, you know, compare, um, stack up to other types of parenting, gentle parenting or balanced parenting, if we're going to, you know, sort of call it that, um, it requires that you sort of dig a little deeper and not skip over all of those things. Not, not just, you know, go to your room because I said, so, uh, you know, this and that, we're shortchanging the kiddos by not taking those extra steps that you're describing, I think, of helping them to understand. And so this isn't glossing over, it's not skipping over these these really crucial things. That's exactly right. And Perfect. it requires doing that as an adult, not just in the moment where you want to send your kid mm-hmm. to the home, but all the time in between those moments. Because if you are going to try to do the emotional work of figuring out your own triggers and learning how to self mm-hmm. right at the moment that your kid is also having a tantrum. I mean, that's impossible. And yeah. I don't see that from a place of judgment. I see that from a place of like, my gosh, we adults are human and we can't do that. Mm-hmm. So the work for the adults for the emotional processing, our own stuff is often not in the moment of difficulty in parenting, but what's hard for a lot of people, understandably, is that when things are going smoothly, why wrestle with tough emotions? Why, why go down the path of thinking about things that are painful and difficult? And you only do that when you really need it, but when you need it is not a time where you have the bandwidth to do it. So there's, there's a a significant importance of finding the bandwidth to have these hard 
thought processes with yourself or hard conversations with your partner or your therapist or your friends in the in-between moments so that you're not trying to do your own heavy lifting when your kid when, when, when it's time to show up for your kid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, don't want to put you on the spot, but could we maybe pick sort of an age group, uh, age range that, that you'd like to, you know, to focus on and sort of give us an example of what gentle or balanced parenting yeah. might look like in this situation. So I don't know if you want to do uh, younger kids or maybe teens, uh, a problem, um, a reaction and what the caregiver ought to do under this type of style of parenting? So I can do both or either. Sure. You. Like sure. I, I can give a couple of different examples of different sure. cases. Um, I think what's important as we distinguish that is that the job of a parent is different at different ages. Mm-hmm. So when you've got an infant, your job is to keep them alive, right? right. To keep them and to house them. And that's true. That's true also through 18. To see them and yeah, but them. it's different. Yes. <laughs> right. As your child ages, your job becomes less and less about direction and protection and more about cheerleading and coaching and supporting and exploring who they are, not who you want them to be. And that's a, an evolution that happens over the course of, I won't even just say 18 years, that evolution takes place over the course of for many people, 30 years, Yeah, but it has to start somewhere. And usually that starts around the tween teen years where there is certainly still a need for protection, but the more you direct the less you're connecting and your kid needs the connection and not the direction. So get your direction in before age 12 and your connection, and then really focus on connection 12 and up if you have a good foundation. So I guess all of which is to say, the examples are going to seem different because the goal of parenting is right. And that that makes sense. And I'm glad you brought that up. So absolutely. So, um, I think that for younger kids, a great example is the sort of timeout. Like your kid is behaving in a way where they are disruptive or irritating you or um, not listening to you. And you are wanting for them to change that behavior. Mm-hmm. And instead of focusing on them changing that behavior, that moment is an opportunity to check in with what's going on for them in that moment. So there's some phrases in the gentle parenting, like code words, that's a time in instead of a time out. So instead of saying to your kid, go to your room and be alone, which is a little bit shaming in that your emotions are too much for me and I can't see you having these emotions. You need to go away and figure out how to not have these emotions. And once those emotions are gone, you can come back to me and then I will give you my love and attention. But for young kids, if we go back to that presumption that they don't know how, unless we teach them how we're setting them up for failure because we're telling them to go away on their own without giving them the tools of how to do that. So a more gentle approach would be to pause the interaction where you're getting the annoyance or the defiance or the not following through and to really like be in that present moment with them, maybe move to a different space. So your current distractions or triggers are different because that is sometimes enough to calm down the emotions. It's just being in a new space and 
being at their level physically, so kneeling or sitting next to one another, not being higher up then by looking down on them mm-hmm. and saying like, Hey, this seems like we're having a really hard moment together. What, what's your experience? I mean, with a super young kid, I don't know that it's a experience, but like, yeah. do you have feelings? Are you feeling bad? Are you feeling mad? Are you feeling scared? You know, what could be happening for you right now? And see if your kid picks up on any of those things. And if they do, what is a good way to cope with that? If it's sadness, okay, like, do you want to cry about it for a little bit? Cause that's okay to cope with that. Or do you want to hug a pillow for a little bit, or you hug the dog for a little bit, or do you want to write about it? You know, if they're middle school age, maybe Mm -hmm. journaling, or if you want to just tell me about your sadness, I can listen to it. Okay, great. And if it's mad, you know, do you want to punch a pillow? Do you want to, it's, it's okay to be mad also, but whatever that emotion is of like, okay, this is okay to feel that way. Here are some ways we can get that out of our system or, or have it run its course. Mm -hmm. And then once that's done, check in. Okay. How are you feeling now? Like, is the sadness feeling any less intense? Is the anger feeling any less intense? Do you think we can get back down to the kitchen where we were doing our homework? Or do you think we can get back down to the kitchen where we were, you know, trying to clean up our blocks? And at that point in time, you're then going back to the same request that you were making before, which is you still need to clean up your blocks. You still, it's still time for homework. So where this can go awry is you do the great emotional attunement and then the situation is over and then they're off watching TV or instead of cleaning up, they're playing with a new toy. That is actually really unhelpful because then you're communicating that their defiance or not following through Mm -hmm. their emotion, whatever the emotion is, lets them off the hook. And we don't want to create that pattern of emotion means I get what I want. Emotion means I get what I want. That's a really unhelpful pattern to create. But if you can teach your kid, emotion gets me love, affection, teaching me how to handle my emotions. I learn how to handle my emotions. I feel better in my emotions. Then I still might not get what I want, but it might not be quite as painful to do it. That is the ideal scenario. Well, that sounds, that sounds great. And sort of, I liked what you had said before about, you know, helping them to realize that it's okay to have all of these emotions. It's just what you do with them. It's, it's finding a constructive and safe, you know, safe way to, to handle it. That's something that, that I try to, to teach my daughters. Um, so it sounds like at least we're on the right track with that. Um, but then, you know, just sort of, I saw another really good example, um, that like, you know, when you're trying to get your kid in their car seat and they're having a tantrum and it's like, you can acknowledge that your kid doesn't want to be touched right now. You can acknowledge that you're not happy to be going or that transitions are hard. And you can say, you know, I really can appreciate that leaving the house while you were having so much fun playing, you know, with your sibling is not what you want to do. And I know that that's disappointing. And, you know, if I were in your shoes, I'd be really disappointed about it too. So it's okay to be disappointed. And we do still have to get in the car in order to go to the doctor's appointment or in order wherever. And so in this moment, I'm going to give you two choices. You can get in the car yourself and I can buckle you up or I can put you in the car myself. And if you don't choose either, I'm going to choose to put you in the car. So a lot of the gentle and balanced parenting when it comes to the empathy and accountability is giving your kid a choice, but the choices are still the outcome you need, but how to get there. Your kid can choose the how, but they might not always 
choose the what. Sometimes. Okay, so that, that, that's great. So giving them a little bit of, of power when ultimately the caregiver has already figured out <laughs> what the result's going to be, but that's important for a child to have a little bit of ownership over, you know, over, over some of it, at least to, yeah. to feel like that. Um, so what about, uh, what about a teen, a teen uh, scenario that, that, that you come across? So, I mean, because I work primarily with teens, it's hard for me to pick just one example. I could think of like infinite examples. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think is most important is with teens, when parents hear a complaint about their parenting, that's not fair. You're mean, you're not cool. You're being strict. Sally's parents let them do that. You know, all of that, that's a prime moment to practice this in whatever comes up for you in defensiveness, which might underneath of that be questions of inadequacy. Like, am I doing the right thing for parenting Mm -hmm. or questions of guilt of like, am I damaging my kid? Well, I guess that's the question of, am I might be more of the inadequacy, but the I'm doing this wrong might lead to guilt or shame or the exhaustion of like, oh my God, I try so hard and my kid still isn't happy with me. And that just feels exhausting and defeating all of those emotions that come up that lead to defensiveness are super valid as an adult and as a parent of a teenager, which is a heroic thing in and of itself. But when they come out in that moment, it makes the situation worse and it takes away the teenager's right to feel what they're feeling. And that's, we want to give them the right to feel that. And so instead of saying like, that's not true. I let you go out last night. You know, you never let me go out. I'm not sure I let you go out last night. Okay. Well now we're in a battle. So maybe that might sound like, you know, I hear that always in never language. You must have a really strong feeling about this. And it's kind of calling them out on the fact that it's not never, but it's also acknowledging that like, if you're using always or never language, you must have a really strong feeling like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm hearing the never. I know that means this must be really important. What's more, like, tell me more about why this is so important for you right now. And maybe you'll find out more information about the fact that they feel left out at school and it's easier to blame you for feeling left out because they can't go out rather than like acknowledging something that might be going on that has nothing to do with you. Or Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there are so many things that it could turn out to be, but you don't get that information when you go to the, that's not true. You might get that information when you sit in the, Hey, this sounds like it's really important. There's like a strong emotion here. Help me understand more. Mm-hmm. And you're really tuning in with their relationship and putting your own emotions on pause to handle on your own. When I teach this, the answer I hear from parents is, well, what if I don't get more? Or what if I don't get the reaction that I want? You might not. But your kid doesn't owe you an explanation of their feelings. It's your job to give them the opportunity. It's your job to help them learn to connect that, when they use always or never language, that might be a clue for themselves that they're in an intense emotion and you just prompting that might help them learn about their own emotional process, but they don't owe you the answer. And mm-hmm. if you don't get anywhere further and the situation ends there rather than escalating, that's still a success because you've right. not it. And that is a big win. Absolutely. And like you said, you're giving them the opportunity, which, which, you know, 
doesn't doesn't happen uh, quite as often in other types of parenting and <clears throat> sounds like a really important, you know, opportunity for them to be able to sort of speak their mind and say, wait a minute, I do need to I do need to take it down a notch. Maybe I'm kind of bluffing. <laughs> maybe maybe there really is something there that, that I want to get into. And, you know, uh, my my mom or dad, caregiver, whoever it is, gave me the opportunity. So, you know, it's a win win situation. So um, that that sounds like a constructive way to to do it. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I teach a lot, and I think the concept of gentle parenting fits in well with, is the concept that your child is a human, right? Your child is a small human, whether a baby human or a small human or an almost big human. And Mm -hmm. all humans are equally deserving of emotional credibility, right? Your emotions are valid. The way you experience the world makes sense and you're allowed to feel that way. And so when we try to make someone feel better, what it can accidentally do is communicate that you shouldn't feel that way, even though we're trying to make you feel better. And so if you can connect that like this human is allowed to feel this way. The way they're behaving is making me feel this way and I'm allowed to feel my way, but they're also allowed to feel their way. And so how can I let them feel their way and not dismiss or invalidate or fast forward through the emotion? And then we can address their behavior that's making me feel my way. And, And part of that is about treating them as equals. You know, I have conversations with parents a lot that your teenager and your child, they are an equal to you on the playing field of emotion. They are not an equal to you on the playing field of logic. You are the logical person in charge. You set the rules, you set the boundaries, you keep them safe. Those rules evolve over time for age appropriateness. So logically, you know, what the consequences are, when the consequences are, what the rules are, when the rules change, when you're going to go on a vacation, when you're not going to go on a vacation, Mm -hmm. uh, which doctor you pick to go to, which doctor you don't pick to go to, all that logic realm, there is a hierarchy. You as the parent are in charge, but in the realm of emotions, you and your child are exactly equal. And I think that that's really hard to accept that because it sometimes doesn't feel like that. Right, right. Gentle parenting is ultimately about leaning into that, leaning into the fact that this small human in front of me is my equal and I can treat them as my equal when it comes to emotions. And once I do that, I can acknowledge the logistical piece of it that's not equal, but only by first connecting with this human in front of me as my equal. That's fantastic. And I'm glad you brought that up um, because they are, they are deserving no matter the age. And, you know, you have to separate the logic from the emotion because there's all these different pieces of caregiving and, and that's where it is, you know, equal playing field, so to speak. Um, pushback on go that. ahead. I'm sorry. There's pushback on the idea of like, well, they're not my emotional equal. Like they don't understand their emotions. So their emotions aren't as significant. Well, it's like, well, that's kind of the point is that young people might not understand their emotions and they need to be contained in the gentle enough environment or compassionate enough environment to learn how to understand their emotions. And if you think that treating their emotions as not important is the way that they're going to start to understand it, that just mm-hmm. like common sense backwards to me. So, right. 
the pushback comes from this place of like, but they don't, they don't understand themselves yet. Yeah, they don't. How so per, perhaps, yeah, right. So perhaps it's more of an equity, equity in terms of being given equitable and fair space and opportunity to, to address those emotions. So maybe, you know, we're at different, different levels emotionally, things like that, but um, we are equals in terms of, you know, well, this is a valid emotion. This is a valid emotion. Here's the space. So we need to sort of look mm -hmm. at it that way, perhaps. Um, so it sounds like there's plenty of pros to gentle parenting as you've, as you've um, gone over. Are, what are some of the cons? Are there, are there any cons? I mean, you know, uh, more authoritarian parents, um, more permissive parents. Uh, what, what are some of the cons of, of the gentle parenting movement? I wouldn't necessarily call it a con per se, but the reason why it seems not appealing is because it requires a fair amount of emotional labor on behalf of an adult on their own, right? It's hard. If it were easy, we would all naturally instinctually mm -hmm. doing it. And if it were easy, we would have been role modeled it by our parents and then it would be easy for us. And then it would be easy right. for the next yeah. generation and the next generation, but it's not easy. It really requires a sense of grounding in your own self. It requires an intense amount of self-awareness of the things that trigger you, the, the types of behaviors or emotions that get you in a swirl. Or, and also an awareness of your vulnerabilities, because on some days it might swirl you up and on some days it might not, but you've got to be aware of that on your own so that you're not coming to your child less compassionately just because you got not a great night of sleep. That's not their fault. Mm -hmm. So the con is just that it's hard in terms of the outcome for your child. There's not a lot of con, but the outcome for you is that it takes an amount of effort and if, if that's hard, it might also take mm -hmm. help through individual therapy for adults or certainly trauma processing for adults who have trauma history, because a lot of this is intergenerational. So it can be really tough and energy consuming and financially consuming if you need the support mm -hmm. for it. Um, but for your child, there's not a lot of cons. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then in your experience, you know, in your, in your practice and what you do on a, a daily basis, have you seen gentle or balanced parenting? Have you seen it work? I mean, have you seen, you know, success stories? Um, I would imagine that, that, you know, it's sort of implemented quite a bit. Um, yeah, does, does it seem to work? Absolutely. What's tricky is that um, if it's not your MO, it can take a really long time to get used to. It's not the kind of thing where like you just, once you intellectually understand it, that doesn't necessarily make it like accessible emotionally to, to do it all the time, right? So um, depending on the uniqueness of any circumstance, it could take six months of practice it could take six years of practice and the, it working is going to look different for every child. I personally tend to define what works as the intensity of emotions or the behaviors that are inappropriate happen fewer and farther between. They happen less intensely and the return to baseline is quicker, but not, I don't look at whether or not it happens at all. 
because mm-hmm. if you're judging by the measuring stick of my kid will never act in a way that is unpleasing. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. If you're looking at my kid will never have an intense emotion. That's impossible. So the work is, is the intensity and the frequency and the return to baseline improving over time. Um, and when that answer is yes, it could be working even if it's a six-year journey. Um, for, for many families, it's working when it's not getting worse, even if it's not mm-hmm. getting better, because some of these patterns that are so ingrained can really lead to that escalation and can lead to things getting worse over time, not necessarily cause it sometimes, but mm-hmm. at least contribute to it worsening. And so sometimes getting better means it just doesn't get any worse. And that's a great point. And, sorry, I said that wrong. Sometimes working means it just isn't getting yes. better. Yeah. Uh, even if you don't yet see it getting better. Okay, great. Any parting words to, to listeners or viewers about sort of the, the gentle <clears throat> slash balanced parenting uh, movement, I guess, things to keep in mind, um, just any, you know, words of wisdom? Uh, wisdom. I think... Hmm. I mean, like, like I said, I could like talk forever. So it's <laughs> one thing. Um, one of the, I think it's important that you don't invalidate your own emotions in the process. So when you are feeling frustrated or when you are feeling defeated or exhausted or inadequate or unfairly accused, it's important that you validate for yourself. Like I'm allowed to feel this. Right. So the goal is not for you to shut off your own emotions as an adult or for you to ignore your own emotions as an adult. And I think that if that happens, if if you think that the goal is to not have any of them, it's going to rear its ugly head somewhere. Right. You might be doing this gentle parenting thing. Great. Until one day it all comes mm-hmm. out very less than gentle. Um, and so it's important that you're also gentle humaning to yourself as an adult and you have to treat yourself gently and you have to give yourself the same message of, you know, it's okay to feel this way and it's not okay to act this way when it comes to parenting choices or just, you know, adulting choices. And so I just, I want to make really sure that the answer or that the, the message isn't parents need to not have their feelings it's that parents need to have feelings and deserve to have feelings. And that if you can validate those feelings for yourself, that the voice in your head can be, I'm allowed to feel this way. This makes sense that I feel this way. You can also start to share that voice with your kid. You're allowed to feel this way. You're, this is okay. It makes sense. And then the next thing you know, your kid begins to have that voice themselves that when they are having feelings, they're able to self-validate, but that self-validation only comes from hearing it from others in your childhood, right? We don't have that voice in our head unless we're given it by somebody else. So if as an adult, you don't have that voice in your head, start practicing that voice for yourself so that you can then share that voice with your child so that your child can then have that voice for themselves. 
wise words and advice for for all members of the family i love it and thank thank you so much to laura goldstein of the montgomery county counseling center and theracourses for taking the time to chat with us about gentle parenting and thanks also to our viewers and listeners as well make sure you visit chesapeakefamily.com for up-to-date local information on home health and living for today's maryland parent this episode will be archived on chesapeakefamily.com in video and podcast format I'm Laura Boycourt with Chesapeake Family Life and Third Floor Views. Thanks so much.